I'm Jared Waitley. Here's a snapshot of Wednesday, November 29. David King presented his idea for reform of the Father, Son and Academy draft picks. I just think that at the moment they're, they're way too cheap. And the point system for me doesn't work. I think you've got to pay... You've got to pay like type. You shouldn't be able to trade out of an area where a player is likely to be bid upon um, to have a greater gain. So if you if you know that, and Jed Walter was the talk this year, but I'm not going to use Jed. Let's use Jamari Hagen, right? He's going to go pick one or two in that draft. The Dogs, or, or whatever club it is at that stage, should be forced to hold a pick or trade up to a pick that's within six, eight, ten selections of that, of that bidded number. So if they had to hold a pick, say, ten picks after, or pick 10 for pick one, then they don't have the ability to trade that pick out for, for Trelaw as readily. Or they have to draw forward rather than delaying that first round selection. So instead of tipping that out, um, yeah, like Sam Darcy at pick two, they get him for pick 34, 40 and 43 or whatever it was, those picks deep. If they had to hold onto a pick or trade from pick 17 down to pick 12, then that creates a bit of movement as well for teams that are down the bottom of the ladder. So as an equalisation measure, you're drawing the better teams forward in the draft. They have to trade. They have to trade for picks. You get overs. The guys that are already down the bottom of the draft that have got picks one, two, three, four, five, are probably likely to get ahead of their father, sons or academy picks. So they will get two licks of the ice cream before they have to um, get caught up. So I, I think if you want to reset this as an equalisation tool, which it should be, what, that's the whole point of the draft, is you must pay like types for those bidded players, those academy selections. And I don't care how many you take. And then you don't have to have restrictions on, you know, those compensation, or those picks being, um, you know, we're talking about the national, um, the, well, the NGAs, you know, some, some restrictions on there where you, unless it's outside of pick 40, you can't, you can't bid on that. But we don't have to have any of that. You've just got to have like-type picks. Like Brisbane weren't, weren't able to do – if those four players were at Brisbane's academy, they wouldn't have been able to select them like the Gold Coast did. Well, well, that's rubbish. So if you've just got like picks, then I think that um, – I think you correct things pretty quickly. Brisbane Chief Executive Greg Swan is hoping the AFL resists the Victorian push for change. It's interesting because I suppose – you were probably going to ask me about the academies and things like that, but the whole comp's unfair. You know, the draw's unfair. Where you play, the travel. And so, you know, I do, I'm do. i a bit bemused about, you know, the carry-on about the academies. I mean, even – and it was pretty freakish for the Suns, but, I mean, if you go back – and I'm not defending them per se, but, you know, if you look at the big players that they've had over the journey, they, they've been in this for 12 and 13 years with that academy. And probably if you count Charlie Dixon – um, and Jack Bowes and maybe Connor Budrick as ones that have come through, and two of them don't play anymore for this club. And then, you know, to say, oh, you know, this is a disgrace, look what's happened. I mean, they got four in one year. It's it's a bit freakish. But if you look at the history of their academy, it hasn't been – it's not rivers of gold. I mean, father-son's an anomaly. I mean, the, the scuttlebutt around town is that Geelong have got 25 father-sons coming in the next five or six years. Right. 25, you know, and the poor old Saints, they haven't had a father-son for <laughs> forever. So everything's unfair. So you just have to. It's all. It's all relative. I mean. So we and and when you are interstate, you you just accept that. I mean. I think when we played Collingwood, when we ran on the MCG, that was our third game there. And Collingwood, that was their seventeenth. But that's how it is. You know, the games in Melbourne, the finals are at um, the MCG, and ten teams are in Melbourne. So you know. So the academy uh, is good for 
the clubs not only to um, hopefully keep Queensland talent and get them not playing rugby union or rugby league, but the other, there's another benefit for it too is that you know we've probably all got between eighty and hundred kids that come through there from under fourteen through, and, and obviously not not many make it, but they go back into the quaffle. You know, my son plays for Morningside in there and just the standard over the last five or six years because you've got these kids that have got good coaching and they've been in the academy and then they go back and play at Morningside or Broadbeach or wherever they go. Um, and that comps become better. So, you know, so so there's a benefit there and then they, they're filtering down and coaching the kids. Like when I got there, they'd have an kick clinic and there'd be a bloke whose son's there and he's from rugby league and he, he, he wouldn't have a clue how to help the kids get better. Whereas now you've got more parents and uh, guys and girls that have been through the academy that can help in the system. So there's that benefit as well. And Swan hailed the success of the Lions AFLW program. You know, we lost the equivalent. You know, we lost Emily Bates, Greta Bodie and Jesse Wardlaw. And, and in a men's parlance, that was probably the equivalent of Lockie Neal, Joe Danaher and Charlie Cameron. You know, they were all, all Australians. One's a Brownlow medalist, et cetera, et cetera. And so, you know, we were written off again. But, you know, we've... Stars and uh, Bree Brock, who runs the program, you know, we, we, we're pretty much 90% local. We, we went local again to replace those. So from that point of view, um, yeah, really proud of, you know, to, to make it again. Um, and from the men's point of view, we were good, but just not quite good enough. You know, we, um, the pies were better on the day and, and got us. But um, it's one of those ones where you run into people and say, you get a little bit sick of it. Oh, it was a great game, you know. You say, yeah, it was, it was, but it wasn't that good yes, <laughs> because we yeah. didn't win. But, but it was a good game, and we, you know, we we gave a good account of ourselves, and we just fell at the at the last little bit. So on the W side of things, it's not just this year you got pillaged. You, you seem yeah. to get pillaged every year, which is a nod to the program you've set up, the quality of players, but the capacity to be able to absorb and overcome that. So what is that and how much of it is Craig Stasevich who is getting the kudos, I think, now that he deserves? Yeah, I, I think it's it's a lot due to him because not only does he um, coach really well, he's he's the person that scours the quaffle and the local comps and finds these players. You know, we, we talked about it even a couple of weeks ago. Like in our first season when we played in that first grand final, we had Sabrina and Taylor Harris as our key forwards and they both left. And then he finds Dakota Davidson and Jesse Wardlaw, and now both of those become all Australians. And you know they were just sort of scrubbing around in the local comp and gets them in. I mean, I will say everybody that comes to the programs gets gets better. There's no doubt about that. So we've had, you know, we don't get too many from other clubs. We we try and grow our own. But even those that have come, a few, you know, um, you know Phoebe Monahan, a few others that have come from other clubs, um, you know, they've certainly got better. So. Yeah, it's been it's been a great yeah you know, five grand finals. Look, we've only won one, so we need to win another one. Yeah, I'm, yeah. North fans won't agree, but we'd be good for us to do that. But even to do that, you know, um, since the inception of the comp, us or Adelaide have been in every grand final, so it's pretty you know it's it's longevity. Yep. Um, and yeah, obviously Adelaide missed by a point to be coming up again, but you know they've won three of their four flags, and we've won. One of our four, so we we need to just hopefully balance that ledger up a little bit. Peter Lawler is at his meddling best when it comes to the test team selection. To my mind, uh, to my mind, and, and I think to theirs, David Warner continues to play until somebody proves that they are a better option than him. And, and I'm not convinced, and I don't believe that they are convinced that any of the waiting openers are better than him. And shock horror, 
I'm not sure that any of the three openers in this you know, great Australian bat-off that we're witnessing in the last round of the Sheffield Shield will actually play this, uh, necessarily play this summer. I don't think that Harris, Renshaw or Bancroft are necessarily the replacement for Warner. I don't know. They're, they're, they're pretending it's hard. Um, I, I suppose I could say I had a little chat with uh, Andrew McDonald this morning on the phone. I said, I hope you're heading off for a, a counter lunch somewhere in Geelong and you're going to have an afternoon nap and just enjoy this break. You deserve it. So, oh, mate, we've got to pick the team. Oh, come on. It's, you know, it's the 11 plus green plus a spare batter and a spare bowler. <laughs> it's just great. I can go to the pub. Now. <laughs> <laughs> it shouldn't be that hard, should it? <laughs> And Brad Blanks gave us a picture of Thanksgiving. Yeah, very good. Very good. Eat the turkey. Yeah, load up on the stuffing. It's a great American tradition. Uh, the best part about it is, uh, you know, it's obviously where families come together. Uh, you can watch football at 12.30 and then the food gets served at about 4 o'clock. You look over your shoulder, you watch the 4.30 game. And by the time you finish uh, your food and have a bit of dessert during halftime, you watch the rest of that NFL game, which was the Cowboys. And then you've got the uh, Thursday night game there to uh, finish it off of a great day of sport on Thanksgiving Thursday across the United States. So it's a, it's a heck of a tradition and uh, awesome for a sports lover in terms of watching uh, NFL. What was the hero of the dish? What was the best piece of food at the Blanks Thanksgiving? <laughs> well, it's always the the, uh, the, the pumpkin pie. Yeah, you, you get on the American uh, bandwagon. Yeah, the, the pumpkin casserole, I've got to call. We would probably call that, which is something. I just grew up with mashed pumpkin as a boy. And over here, they do a lot of things with the pumpkin. They grow them to about... Uh, yeah, you know, six hundred kilograms, Jared. So they got to they got to do something with it. They uh, they roll those massive, you know, world record winning uh, pumpkins, which I've been to a few of those pumpkin shows before. They roll them down and then mash them all up to make a casserole. And they also make many desserts uh, around uh, pumpkin as well. So they are a pumpkin loving society there on Thanksgiving. <laughs> and that's just a snapshot. The full program and all interviews are available through the Waitley podcast. Subscribe at sen.com.au.